Exes for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics' marvelous mutants week after week through their many monthly titles. Now, I'm Nico Action, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Today, we have an amazing triple header, but first things first, I want to remind everybody that starting June 1st, over on our YouTube at X's for Podcast, you guys are going to be able to check out the Daily X, a brand new version of the same thing we've been doing, giving you guys daily installments of the stuff you love twice a week here on the podcast. Of course, the podcast is going to keep going, but don't forget to go over to YouTube, subscribe, and check out the Daily X, featuring more of what you love, plus some new amazing features. Now, on to today's material. First things first, we have myself, Arturo, and Nathan bemoaning the death of Leah Williams and David Baldone's breathtaking 10-issue X-Factor. Of course, this is issue 9, but the sadness has already set in. We hope you guys enjoy as much as we were sad to make it. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. Now, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm Arturo. You can find me at Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. Hey, it's Nathan, and you can find me online at DazzlerAOA on Twitter and Instagram. We're here today to talk about X-Factor number 9 by Leah Williams and David Baldone, and I want to get a few things out of the way up front. We know now that this is the penultimate issue. What drives me crazy is that when I read the previous issue, I was unaware it was the anti-penultimate issue. That really drives me nuts, because that means this book's cancellation turnover was at such an ugly rate. I kind of want to know, guys, the, the big questions of our age, Space Landing, Kennedy Assassination, American Idol, Ruben Studdard winning, where were you when x factor was announced to be canceled i I don't know i just feel like i've been trapped in that moment for however many days it's been i just swinged wildly from sadness to rage i I, (laughs) i'm giving you sad music it's um it's a lot to process i i don't think i don't think we realized how good we had it like i think back to like issue four and five and it was just a simpler time when it felt like this was x factor into infinity this was like one of the flagship books we didn't have to worry about but we still showed up for it every every month gleefully and loved every bit of it and to have it ripped from us so soon is nothing less right i really 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 agree i feel much much the same way now nathan you're so plugged into the twitter sphere right you're like that guy and hackers of the world unite and like you know you're you're the ex twitter version of that right how hard did you feel that like echoey reverberation i mean our discord fell apart with sorrow shocked i was like wait x factor's over everybody's like wait what are you talking about and then everybody reads it a little bit more carefully and they're like no and the general consensus has been that Everybody is really, really fucking upset. We're all hopeful that we're going to get something spinning out of the trial of Magneto that seems to be a continuation of this. So hopefully maybe we get something spinning out of trial of Magneto. Who knows what it'll look like? Who knows what team it'll look like? I just know that whatever happens, I'm going to miss the team of Leah Williams and David Baldion. I know they're going to go on to do great things separately. I just loved their team together. 
there was a synergy. It was like yeah. the right. It was like the right mixtape. Well, you know and what you I could mean? just tell. I mean, and you know, David Baldion, friend of the pod, right? Like hearing him talk about the way that they collaborated and designed the characters, and just the love that they both had for this book came across every single page, every single page that has come out. Like whether you know the pacing was for you or not, or if you were really into the Morgan story or not, what you know, whatever your take may be on like particular aspects of it it was just a hell of a book and they clearly were working on long-term plans like they at no point it would have been much more helpful i think to everybody involved if going in we said this is going to be a 10 issue maxi series or 12 issues or whatever it may be and giving them kind of that those guardrails but it definitely did not feel that way and i think that comes across in the creator it, it feels like they were working on on some long-term goals and they had the the rug pulled out from under them and and this and it's so clear in this issue even in those in that situation in that horrible duress they killed it with this issue but it's so clear that they're trying to tie up all these loose ends in a hurry I don't mean to come at editorial because editorial has done such a great job creating a book, creating a world where this book is even possible. But part of my dis, my, my distaste for the way this whole thing uh, like shook out is that if they knew that that was going to be that tight first two issues leading us in, and then we had that break for Ten of Swords, and then when we came back, if we knew that it was going to be all this Morgan storyline, it's sort of like they wasted the very high quality potential of X-Factor on a great arc, but an arc that should not have stood for the body of the series. Yeah. Now, the other thing is you mentioned the trial of Magneto, hopefully something coming out of it. You know, this may be the first time I'm realizing that, yeah, this is a detective team who we just saw do psychic surgery, probing for exact information from someone's memory, and that Lorna is Magneto's daughter who did have very dramatic things set up with him earlier in the run of X-Factor. So it does sort of stand to me very possible that X-Factor is going to lead with leaps and bounds directly into the trial of Magneto. But like, I'm so wounded. Same. I, I feel yeah. so jerked around. And like, I just, I want to get this off my chest because there's a thing about this happening right before Pride and right before the Marvel Pride voice. Oh, God, yes. That just does not sit well with me. And I, while I never expect to see anybody from Marvel come up to the mic and say, well, yes, we canceled this book because it is, because it is just a little too queer for us to feel comfortable I don't expect anyone to ever own up to that, but there's a part of me that feels like that is part of this decision, like this kind of systemic, uh, you know, unconscious bias, homophobia thing that 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 just doesn't sit well with people. Like having the leader of the team, North Star, being in a married relationship with his husband, and and just having um, Prodigy making out with Speed in that one issue, and like just having this normalization of queer culture and identities I found so refreshing and so comforting and I'm sure some people felt exactly the opposite way and it, I can't get it out of my head that that's part of the, the poison pill that led to this horrible decision. So on, on that like the thing is the crazy thing for me is with that is that Guardians of the Galaxy is also another book that is very heavily LGBTQIA plus 
So it's almost like Marvel is saying, ha, 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 we can only have one gay book in existence at a time. You know, I it's so funny that you're like, there can only be one gay book at a time, because that is unfortunately kind of the vibe that I do get. But this was the gayest it's ever been. And there was something so beautiful about sort of, sort of the subversive homosexuality of it and the sort of editorial interference restructuring what the book was meant to be really damaged the quality of its narrative. I mean, yeah, a hundred percent. Like this, this should have been, this issue alone should have been probably three different issues. I don't even know if the Morgan story and Mojoverse were ever actually going to tie together or if Leah literally had to take the mess that was given to her, the situation of like, okay, good news. You have two issues left to tie it all up. And she said, well, fuck it. I guess I'm going to have to throw it all in the blender and make smoothies. Let's go. And 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 I give her credit because she she killed it like I they killed it her and and Valdion, this issue just spoke to me in such a big way I've been crying for Shatterstar and Richter to get back together like since the beginning of, of House and Powers like that is such an important shit for me same times yeah. a million seemed like that she was like okay well I guess we're we're gonna have to go go home and go hard at the same time and close it down and she's bringing that to the front like that means so much to me out like my gratitude to her for that is beyond expression yeah the way this was wrapped up it felt like not only did leah try to wrap up obviously the two storylines that she had out there that were continuing but it also felt like she attempted to obviously the morgan story is a carryover from uh pad's x factor Mm -hmm. so she's trying to wrap that up and from that same end period of X Factor, she also threw in trying to wrap up the Shatterstar hasn't told Dazzler that she's re- yes. really his mom kind of thing. So I, I was like, wow, she's trying to wrap up her own stories and write and wrap up pad stories at the same time. Wow, there's a lot going on here. It was well executed, but I would have loved to see it play out over a lot more issues. I want to say like a weirdly real dark kind of, I don't know if it's even too heavy, but like on the subject of what this book means to be, this book means to be a, a the ability for characters to move past their damage and grow into who they're meant to be. And when we think about how things like comics trace back into life, we can sort of look at Leah Williams and David Baldon, two incredible creators who had been making these small inroads with the X-Men audience, whether it's the pages of Weapons Plus for David and Domino Hotshots or the way Leah was on Emma Frost X-Men Black. We saw this natural growth of these creators and then finally they step up to the big leagues. And as a creator who is, you know, ready to take that step as well, you come with different kinds of dreams. You come with the, I always said I would do this dreams. You come with the this is what's good to do now dreams and then there's the things that you want to do as you're creating right so she's got the things that she said oh my god if I ever get my hands on Shatterstar I would do this thing with him right and she's got the this is the outline of the book and then there's even that you know I would love to pick up on the Morrigan thing and that be my now thing and there's all of these elements that come together and in the way that it was cut short there's sort of the question of how this is going to impact the way the book is looked at retroactively right I think we all can kind of look back on something that's cut short and we can go, yeah, that was cut short and it felt weird, right? That's my concern. When comics are now designed with longevity in mind, 
comics are designed more for the after audience, right? Because the audience that reads these books is 32,000 people that read it that month, right? That's not what they're concerned about. They're not concerned about 32,000 people that month. They're concerned about 200,000 people in the next 10 years with trade shelf life. They're then concerned about the next 30,000 people that are going to read it when it becomes an omnibus. They're really excited about that 500,000 people that are going to read it over the course of its lifetime on Marvel Unlimited. But us, the people who are reacting to this and making the noise and are the ones that are going to say, celebrate this book, our impact on this title is a zeitgeist. And the question is going to become, what is ultimately the dreams of this book that are the dreams that it's going to be remembered by? Are people going to look back at this as the Morrigan book, the detective book, or the queer book? And that's one of the things I think issue nine sets up. It gives us the opportunity to remember all of the things that X-Force, X-Force, hi, have a good day. Allows us to remember all of the things that X-Factor is. Arturo, what is X-Factor to you? And do you feel it was served in this penultimate issue? I, For me, X-Factor has always been, I mean, it's hard because like I, my, my real, you know, first X-Factor is the Peter David, you know, Havoc and Polaris, Lake of and Stooges. What X-Factor became uh, an investigating book, like a detective book, that that's that's really what it what it is for me. This X Factor was the queer detective book. Like if I had to boil it down, that's how I'll remember it. Um, did this issue serve that? Yeah, absolutely. But to your point about you know it being a, a collected story and the omnibuses and et cetera, et cetera, like all of that just makes me so much more certain that this book, this story, this this team would have killed doing a hundred issue one. Like hundred percent. Like that's oh, that's yeah. what I want. I want. I wanted Leah to be the new Peter David of X Factor. I wanted yeah. I I and I know that there's like business reasons and marketing reasons aside from you know homophobia that you know drive the publishers to do these you know limited series or whatever. I I get that there's some kind of logic to that, but like I'm a simple guy. I I want continuity. I want issue 87 of something. I want issue 87 of something to tie back to issue eight. Like that's the kind of storytelling that I think is so powerful. And and it just, God, again, I swing wildly from sadness to rage and I'm approaching rage. <laughs> I feel you on that. Uh, X-Factor to me, probably, I, like you said, Arthur, I think this run, it, had it been allowed to extend, really could have supplanted my mental eye of X-Factor. X-Factor has become, when I think of X-Factor, I think of that pad investigation run with uh, Madrox and Rain and Guido. I But this title, this team, these characters easily could have become my version of X-Factor in my mind, had it been allowed to continue. I hope it's remembered fondly as everything and not just as the gay book or the book that got cut too short. Uh, I hope that people remember it more for its bounty of everything that it gave us. And it gave us so much in its short time. I think X-Factor, more than almost any title in the X-Office, represents an X-Factor. The book starts out as they're hunting mutants, but they're really good guys. And then it quickly turns into dealing with the trauma of being the O5 once Louise Simonson takes over and the book takes a much more cerebral approach to superheroics. Then suddenly, they're dealing with the repercussions of body horror and transformation when the whole book became endlessly about Warren and his pain because it was a hot 
hot topic and it was a really cool idea. The next thing you know, they're with the Celestials and they're out in space for a year. Shortly after that, we get the techno-organic virus stealing away cable and then we get the pad book. The pad run is actually only about 17 issues before it changes over to a new writer and it changes and changes and changes. Even the pad era, the, the proper Jamie Madrox's detectives, who they are changes a lot. And I think this was like, like you both said really beautifully that the next evolution of looking back at the damage of the years gone by, like this really made a lot of sense to be the next X Factor. And I love that Leah and David took the opportunity to do something new and fresh that while still touching on classic X-Factor storylines and beats, it all felt so new and so fresh. I, I like, let's throw a parade for David Baldion for the costume design, the, oh my the God, uniforms, yeah. like everybody had like their own vibe, but it was all very, you know, from the same designer. And like, like he was, I think the first artist in this era to, to do that with it, you know, like, I mean, all praise to Valerio Skitty on the sword. He's, he's done a hell of a job over there. But like what Baldion did here was just incredible. And building the boneyard, like the design of the boneyard, like taking the opportunity to like build these this this team branding aesthetic. Like that is not something that just happens all the time. You know, like look, look over at Excalibur. Like, yeah, they've got the lighthouse, but it's kind of a disjointed, you know, situation. And that's fine. That's, you know, that's its own work. But like what they did here in this book was so so impressive and so hard to replicate and and i want to ask you guys a question because i'm very torn on this obviously my answer is i would love to see leah and david continue together for another 90-ish final but if that's not possible would you guys like to see this book retired quietly or do you want to see a different creative team pick up because i feel like the premise of the book cannot just disappear after this after issue 10 like there we need x factors serve the function of the island so do you guys want to see someone else take this on? And if so, who? That's a beautiful question yes. because I think I would relegate this team to the trial. Like, not being like, you know, real about it, but like, keep them together. And I think there's a lot of room for these detectives to investigate a murder. And, but, you know, the X-Men kind of do need more than one type of detective now. It's not enough to say there's one group of mutants that can investigate all of the mutants. Mutants don't die anymore. So now we're never going to see, unless something horrible happens, a decrease in the number of mutants ever again. Six mutants cannot be responsible for all of the investigation that the mutant kind needs needs this x-factor cell can go one place and i think there's room for another x-factor cell and i think there's a lot of room for it to be like shatterstar richter sophia a lot of the characters that were built up here and they can lead their own x-factor cell yeah i i would i i kind of like the way you're thinking nico on that i'd love for this group to stay together I would love for, if, if we don't get the same creative team, I'm not sure that I want just, I'm not sure that I trust anybody at this point yeah. to write the same creative, uh, to write the same character team in the same manner. Exactly. I would love to see them maybe bounce around sort of like the five do now. So mm. since X-Factor can't be its own book, you know, have them show up in other people's titles as the same team. At least that way, they're still doing the work. They're still getting some visibility. Well, and I, this is something, 
something that I am going to bring like straight to editorial as a as a grievance. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if it was CB or if it was I think it might have been Jordan D White in a in an interview was asked about X Factor and he kind of played footsie with the whole thing. He's like, well, it's not going to be canceled, but it might not be what people have in mind. And it's I guess unclear if he was referring to the trial of Magneto thing or if there is some possibility of a continuity. But it's immensely frustrating that th- that they're being like opaque about that. You know, like it doesn't make sense. Like this, the week that this issue came out, it was I think number one on Comicsology, and I know that digital sales are different from physical sales and pre-orders and etc. But it's not like this book was tanked. So number one, why the hell? <laughs> number two, <laughs> right. don't string me along. Don't give me this this like false hope. Like let's just you know, yes, I, I believe in being hopeful, but shoot straight this you know i think it shows to some of the fluidity of hickman's overall design for the x line it, it might not have been sales and i know i know it's hard not to take it as they're canceling the gay book maybe the place x factor had in his designs he there were other stories that he wanted to tell in the general dawn of the dawn reign of x era or whatever's gonna come take its place um, I'm, I'm imagining that they're worried about oversaturation of titles because we are getting now that we have X Core, uh, you know, X Men replaces X Men, so that's fine. But I, I know they're probably worried about the oversaturation of the market, and maybe this didn't fit as vital a piece of the puzzle as the other books did. I loved this cover, but something I know about the production of comics is that frequently covers are commissioned months ahead of the issue. I wonder if Dazzler and Lila had not been so front and center, if this would have still happened in this issue, or if Leah and David were like, we know to fear the Dazzler stands, and (laughs) we cannot put this off. And I do wonder if, you know, this lovely Dazzler site, really lovely, if it was best served here or if in a lot of ways they distracted from each other. So I like, so let me rephrase what I want to say. (laughs) Dr. Dazzler coming in to do his daddy (laughs) job. I'm I'm standing to the side on this one. Please, Nathan, take the floor. So the thing that I loved about her inclusion in this issue was that this was basically a really quick sort of downfall of Mojo. I love that she played a huge part in bringing down Mojo when so much of her 90s and maybe early 2000s... like identity. Any, any person, identity, thank you. So much of her identity in the 90s and early 2000s was just, hey, she's Longshaw's wife and we've shipped her off to Mojo World, a Mojoverse. I would have loved to see the emotional... Uh, reunification of Shatterstar and Dazzler. I would love to see that reveal. And I'm hoping that we actually do see it in the next issue. Um, The one thing that did distract to me from the whole Dazzler experience is Leah's a slightly better at it. But anytime anybody tries to write a Dazzler song and put the words (laughs) in a book, they are just usually so... You are usually sitting there and going, what the hell? This is not a song at all. 
we're gonna fight the fight. We're all made of light. We're gonna do this stuff because we're yeah. super tough. Honestly, Everyone... I, I should have said this before we even recorded, but I would love. I mean, I know Nico, our our very own Nico, is very musically inclined and gifted, and I would love to hear you take a stab at uh, at singing that beautiful. I already have of lyrics. I was like, I actually very Katy Perry about it already. Oh yeah, I live at my keyboard, so like I don't, I don't do I if I I don't know like people other people go places but like i have a guitar and a keyboard so you know that's my life and yeah i definitely have i've definitely thought about it because there's so many uh lila cheney and uh dazzler songs and i think that the sort of easy thing is to kind of go sadie killers from steven universe with it but like no i think these are pop queens i think you got to go pop queens so, yeah. so this, so these lyrics were a lot better. So give me a sign, baby, if I should make you mine. Been wasting time lately pretending it's all fine. That, while not a great lyric, is better than some of the ones that we've gotten in the past. Like in X-Men 503, the song was The Serpent is Coming. So literally they just have her go, I'll be Adam, you be Eve. And then she repeats Our Garden of Eden like four times. And then The Serpent is Coming like five times. And that's the whole song that they put on the page. And probably her most... I it was supposed to be a one-off in Dazzler 21, but somehow it became like a minor hit in the Marvel Universe because in Secret Empire Uprising, uh, they have Nadia and uh, Ironheart do a sing-off contest for Natasha, which is crazy. Uh, Our little girl's dream, which part of the lyrics is a little girl's dream. She'd love to go back for a day, for an hour, even a minute. But life is too fast. Love's too hard. And all she's left with, and all I'm left with, are little girls' dreams. So, okay, number one, that just got us put on a list. Thanks. <laughs> like, Nathan, I love you so much. <laughs> Thank you for existing. Thank you for knowing every Dazzler lyric that has ever seen print. Like, peti- like I'm going to start the, the change.org petition for you to change your handle to Dr. Dazzler. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, and here's the thing, okay? I I have long stated this. Everybody's got a thing they do, right? Whether you play video games or you drink real good or you make music, right? So when you hear somebody do something where you're like, uh, you would not do that, right? Like as a, you know, as a professional composer, I, I haven't in the course of my lifetime come across Dazzler lyrics and been like, no. Or like, <laughs> I'll see sheet music on a TV. TV show and I'll just be like no 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 that's not sheet music that looks like a picture of an owl stop that and like it gets to be ridiculous or like you know when anybody plays video games and they're like oh man I just noobed what a gamer like oh god it's that sort of thing this is by far the least egregious Dazzler lyrics in a long oh, time because in her original series they were never sure if she was Blondie or if she was a young Kylie Minogue and everybody was doing the locomotion because some of those songs range from punk rock to uh, rip off Pat Benatar. Oh, she even did a country Western set in that Hulk issue. So stop it. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to doubt him? Uh, no, of course not. I also imagine she did some real just throw kind of like bang, 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 bang kind of music for the Guthrie's at some point in that new mutants issue. Can we we take a second to just, uh, you know, appreciate Dazzler's band? 
DJ, um, the drummer, yes. Lila Cheney on guitar. Uh, what who else? Surge, the ringer, the the band manager is Wind Dancer. Like, give though, give this little crew a book. Yeah, right. For real, fucking yeah. rock stars X, just full on Krakoan rock stars. Because like, that's even a thing. Mutant culture is meant to be everywhere, thanks to Children of the Atom. You know, mutant culture is everywhere. So I want to see us talk about mutant culture. And yet, this would be a great avenue. That's a really great point. I hadn't even considered what a vital team that would be. You know, the only thing that disappoints me about that team is um, they replaced Shark Girl. I was like, no, poor Shark Girl. But DJ's cool. I mean, maybe she was, you know, just doing a set at the at the Green Lagoon. She wasn't available for the Mojo gig. True. Who knows? She's like the Tito Puente of Krakoa. <laughs> she just comes out doing the fucking band leader thing. She's the Michelle Stevenson, so. <laughs> yeah, but like that, I mean, that, to your point, like mutant culture is part of what's going on, right? And like in X-Corp, we're seeing, you know, the beginnings of, uh, you know, mutant corporate espionage and whatnot. And sure, that's cool. And like, But yeah, give me, give me a four issue limited series where the X-Men are doing a goodwill tour around the world and, you know, and shenanigans happen. Like, why not? Like, I'm, I, to be clear, I am all, all I'm totally down for miniseries you know i'm i'm there like juggernaut miniseries like yep i was there i'll be there for any little miniseries i think it's great to get stories out and, and just keep building this world um but it does underscore that this run was completely underserved by by this limited amount of issues in a recent episode while discussing cable you talked about the sort of question of would we have valued moments in cable differently if we had known that it was essentially a 12 issue maxi series and i asked the same question of this how almost unnerved i am that one of the issues of x factor is the ten of swords issue yeah. i truly especially because it doesn't even have david on it i i truly wish that was ten of swords x factor and it wasn't a part of the numbered run in a lot of ways because it just feels like this book was mistreated from day one at this point yeah they do seem x factor does seem like it did get so it did have that whole issue that basically, yes, Lorna was a part of it, but it wasn't really an X-Factor issue. It was just a Ten of Swords issue. And even the final issue itself. So this issue and I'm, I'm, what I'm projecting the final issue to be, I don't know. I have no idea. It seems to me a little bit like the final episode of Star Trek Enterprise where you've got all these guest stars coming. You have like, like you have Commander Riker and Counselor Troy coming in and they taking over the episode. And it's not an issue that is centered on the X-Factor crew. Hopefully the Hellfire, the Hellfire Gala gives us some great X-Factor moments, but it's going to be tied into that event and it's setting up the next iteration of the team. So I don't know that I'm going to feel the closure in this penultimate issue seems like it's the closure issue but it's so leah had to rush everything so quickly we didn't get a lot of the space we needed to process everything well and speaking of processing things you know one one horrible uh side effect of, of abuse is afterwards you're you're you feel like more abuse is coming so after getting x back for ripped from our hands i'm now living in existential dread that they're going to you know mention oh aliens ends after issue 12 or yep it's been a great run but that's all from marauders not like i i feel betrayed
afraid and I'm not going to be able to sort through those feelings anytime soon. And no, let's like, let's talk about this for a minute. And there's actually a thing about that. And when I worked in a comic shop, I had one set of feelings about it. When I became a comic creator, I had another, but you've really struck onto something that is a unique relationship between comic book proprietors like Marvel and the audience and the way they have abused the middleman of the comic book market. You know, we comics are one of the only industries where the people are asked to buy the product before it's even written, right? Because frequently comics don't get finished till after the final cutoff date. So because of how previews works. So comics are kind of ordered kind of sight unseen based on a cover that may or may not still vaguely correlate to the interiors. And in the back of comics, when we were, you know, much younger, not so much these days, but every letters page said, and guys, if you don't go out and buy a million copies and write in about this book it will be canceled now okay realistically when you know that it's somebody who has a public marvel exclusive contract like peter david okay even if x factor had been canceled it would have you wouldn't have seen the end of Peter David's storytelling at Marvel. He's still getting work today, right? So even if you had been upset about that team, it's not the same thing as the possibility of losing this team. Now, Marvel came out guns blazing on X-Factor. If you want to see X-Factor succeed, get the fuck out there and buy it. Tell everyone you know. And we did. And we could see the results on Comixology. And we could see the results in Amazon.com sales listings. And we could see the results in our comic shops saying, yeah, I sold out of that. I sold out of this. So it is a betrayal. We were told, do this, you'll be a good boy. And now we're being told, no snack for you, doggo. And it does really feel like a bait and switch. And it certainly leaves me worried about Marauders. Because how the fuck much can Jerry Dugan do before his fingers fall off? True. So, and, and like Marauders is a book, and, and uh, you know, I've, I've made no no secret of how much I love that book and how much I love what Jerry's doing on it. I'm excited that he's taking the, the helm of X Men. So I don't really know what's going to happen with Marauders once that happens. Um, it does feel like they're closing shop over there a little bit, maybe, or maybe that's just the storm of it all. But, I feel like it's leaving at yeah. 25. I definitely feel like it ends at 25 over and over. It just it's so choreographed. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, because I mean losing storm it, it really does seem like that's so she's been such a big driver maybe not of actual story itself but of actually the arc that it just really feels like hey bye storm's leaving but but marauders is a title that i would have a lot less hang-ups about a different creative team yeah it up and yeah, oh, yeah. It. like jerry's done such a good job of building out like their mission statement and kind of what they're doing and the messes they get in to and all that that i think somebody else could could jump in and and keep jumping rope with that story and, and make it work with x factor it feels so specific so so personal in, so personal so from leah's heart from david baldeon's like sweat and hands like it it just it's their book and you know back to the question i was asking before like do i want to see a different creative team pick this up i mean i guess more so than than just closing up shop and never you know and, and this team just bit disbanding yeah i guess i'd rather see somebody try to do it but 
it it take me a while probably to to trust them, you know, or or to to even like the book. I think like I, I feel like any other writer would this. I'd be like, you wouldn't have a uh, chance then. Yeah, you wouldn't stand a fucking chance because by the time you yeah. finally liked it, you'd have been on the next run. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I just I I feel like House and Powers felt like uh like a reset in a big way for the Marvel universe, or, or especially specifically for X Men fans. Like that's that's not even what it felt like. That's what it is and what and with the Reign of X and the Dawn of X, it felt like, okay, now we're building these new tent poles and kind of going back to, you know, that 90s era when the franchise was strong enough to sustain all of these multiple X-related titles. And it felt like that's what we are, what we've been building. Like you were saying, Nico, like if you do your part, then we're going to do our part and sky's the limit. And let's, you know, let Hickman run like the, the you know, Claremont 2.0. Yeah. Give us a 20 year 20 plus year span of storytelling um but now i'm like or maybe not or maybe you know maybe we're all just you know sitting around jerking off until the next decimation and who knows like i think back to that new x-men uncanny x-men sort of extreme x-men super era and how close this is to that but instead of three very separate creators none of whom seem to want to play with one another we have a loving x team that want to work together yes and there's there's sort of a sense, you know, I'm not projecting onto anybody, but like part of me wants to be like, how can you let them do this to your sister and brother? Oh, and like, yeah. you know, I obviously know that, you know, nobody is not standing up for Leah and David. It's not that, but this does feel like a really personal defeat. Yeah, it feels like a defeat, not just a book ending, but instead like the heart of the fandom has been told, go back in your box. You came out for too long. Yeah, and the interconnectivity of the X office right now is is something that I really noticed with this issue, especially. We've got mentions of X-Core, which just started up this month. We've got the New Mutants appearing and that really fun data page where I'm like, hmm, you know, where Danny's like, hey, let's go on a double date with Shan and Kyle. So um, then we've got uh, Ileana be holding, you know, a sword against Mojo. We've got uh, X. We've got Excalibur appearances with Richter and Rogue in the lighthouse, you know, then they're like, wait, what's going on? So this this title seemed really interconnected with everything. Like you guys are saying, the inner, the X offices are playing well together. So it's just a shame to see this go and lose this piece of it. I'm sure we will see the, the play pieces. I'm sure we'll see X Factor pop up, like I was saying. Like, you know, probably like the five. But... I just I'm gonna miss this piece and this focus. Well, and I, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because that's one thing that I want to give a special shout out to to Leah for um, Leah and David for doing possibly better than any other team currently, and that is bringing in other characters that aren't part of the core team and giving them a moment in the book. Like it feels like everyone else forgot about the those four you know doomed new academy X. My poor kids. Those poor kids no. never stood a chance and you know but Leah certainly made time for them and and gave us moments and a beautiful resurrection and just little little cameos that that fed the children like x twitter would people would get so happy like this book meant so much to so many people and and I appreciate that Leah always took that opportunity to tell a bigger story 
but to pull all of these obscure threads and characters and, and just bring them into the mix. She did that so beautifully. And not just obscure characters, but actual flagship, you know, other titles, like Nathan was saying, you know, Excalibur, X-Force, or whoever else. Well, I guess X-Force maybe is the only team that we didn't see uh, appear in this book, but my point stands. <laughs> but uh, it was this was an amazing week for Sophia. Oh my god. So much that's good. The ambassador to Mojoverse and she also pops up in X-Core as the what is she, the marketing expert using her skills that she learned in Mojoverse. I'm like, yes. The, I, you know what, guys? I know we came here to talk about Ishuna, and this has really become more of an X-Factor support group. Um, and I think that's a beautiful thing, and I look forward to hopefully covering Issue 10 with you guys. It's been a hell of a ride. Um, if you feel strongly, listeners, if you feel strongly about this, please let us know. Tweet. Uh, a couple of us on Twitter was were trying to use the hashtag uh, SaveXFactor. Leah and David, you know, certainly see the X-Factor, uh, X-F-A-Q-T-O-R tag all the time so it's been nice and sweet to see and also very sad to see them retweeting and engaging with with other readers who are devastated by this and you know i don't know if it'll make any difference in the world but at least let the creators know let marvel know that you love this book that you would love to see this save you know we've seen marvel make the right choice maybe if it wasn't their first choice but eventually they correct their choice in other things so who knows i i live with hope i and I would love to see something good come of this. I'd love to see Leah and David get back on this book. So if you want to help, make your voice heard. So now it's do anything. It's just that moment from the end of End Song, and everybody's thinking, Gene. <laughs> Gene. That data page? Am I the only one who picked up like the subtle like wink wink nudge nudge Dan and Shanny are Dan and Shanny, that's Shan and Danny are in a relationship on that or am I just like reading way too much in that? Maybe it's adorable that you think that was subtle. I thought that was like <laughs> I read it like and you know maybe this you know we all bring our different lenses to the page when we read but like I absolutely read that as further confirmation that they are girlfriends at this point. Yeah, I mean it was just like gay all day all the way. Like yeah. yeah. Get it. One uh, once uh, art thing I want to just call out that I think David Baldion did some incredible work as I've been saying nonstop for the for this entire run. He did some beautiful panel work, and this issue is no different. I just want to give a, a call out to the beautiful panels where Rachel was stepping between being in Siren's headspace, oh yes, and the real yeah. world, and interacting with Polaris, who was you know conscious. Like that was so cool. Co that was a perfect example of comics can do something visually that just other mediums can't and just bravo hats off to to Baldion for those okay and, and the conversation that Kyle had with Northstar that he had to go into the mindscape like who hasn't had that conversation yes about, you know? yes that is such a relationship thing I was like okay now I buy their relationship like, yeah I, you know, I'm not, I'm not proud to say it. I've never really been a fan of them being together because I was always kind of like, oh, I give me North Star dating another mutant and, you know, et cetera. But yeah, it's a testament to what Leah's been able to do that she's made me really care for Kyle and really want North Star and Kyle to be together and be happy. And, and it's beautiful that he's not a mutant. Like, that's all fine. Oh, one more thing. Do we think that another writer will try to continue Aurora and Akin? 
or is this going to fall to the wayside like one of Aurora's, like her relationship with Wildchild? Boy, she has a type, doesn't she? Well, um, and <laughs> I, I really. She dated Wildchild? Hit the brakes. She dated Wildchild? Yeah. 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 Back in, uh, in late Alpha Flight. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's back when Kyle was like super calm. Oh, oh, too many people named Kyle. That's, know, back, right? <laughs> that's back when he was like confident and complex and had like a full yes. brain and stuff. And he was yeah, yeah. temporarily evolved to be like a super saber tooth who wasn't a bad guy. Yep. Well, Alpha Flight Cannon's fucking weird. Oh, it is. Um, but, you know, I think that's a great question. And I'm going to answer with it would take somebody with the same um, hardcore love of the X-Men Reload era. That's Astonishing New X-Men Academy X. Um, the tail end of Austin, the beginning of Milligan, the return of Claremont to Uncanny, that whole uh, sort of the rebirth of Psylocke. It would take somebody with that same era love the way Leah Williams has, uh, because the two big things that Leah Williams has referenced in her work on X Factor as a rule are the reload era of Un- of X Men and the Marjorie Lou work of mm. the aughts. So Dokken, X23, and Astonishing X Men, where North. Star got married. Iceman was a team member. Karma was a badass with a robo leg. Yeah. And, um, it was, oh, so masculine. So um, I'm definitely, I don't think that somebody else would do it the same delicious job. Yeah, I, I'm sad to say, but I, I have no hope for the relationship because I think it would take somebody caring about the characters to 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 continue their relationship and, and make it work. And, and I just, I don't see that. I just don't. Yeah. I think it sucks. I, and of all of the X-Factor characters, Dokken is probably the number one that I do not want to see replaced. Like he, Period. He, yeah. he just is such a good symbol of the promise of Krakoa and of like actually getting a new lease on life and a, a new perspective and finding happiness or trying to like and i'm terrified that they're going to just make him like knock off skeezy wolverine you know part two i'm really terrified for the next writer who gets aurora because they have a tendency to say haha we're gonna knock her back to her split personality level so nice white lady do the crazy nice white lady yeah. here here karen come get your minivan karen like i mean it's <laughs> yeah like it's what they do to her it's awful unfortunately yeah anybody got more Hey everybody, welcome back. And Nico here again. And so I love Way of X a lot. Like right away, it captured my heart and my mind. And Bob Quinn was such a blast to talk to telling us about the creative process. And I knew I needed some maybe not so super hardcore fandom blinders on this title. So I wanted to make sure that some new voices came in. And Jonah, Josh, and Arturo did such an incredible job breaking down this issue. I had to go back and read it again with all of their amazing insight in mind. We hope you guys enjoy this segment as much as we enjoyed making it. Hello, everyone. Thank you again for joining us for This Is X for our coverage of Way of X number two. I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah. That's P-E-A-K. And I'm Arturo. You can find me at Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Josh Wheel. You can find me at Asleep at the Wheel, W-E-I-L, on Twitter and asleepatthewheel.com. And for the next two years as the progressive Democrat running for U.S. Senate in the state of Florida, you can find me at Wheel, the number four U.S. Senate across social media and joshwheel.org. 
And we hope you survive this experience, unlike Legion's physical body, because, oof, what a beautiful mess that was. But before we get into that, today, as I said, we're going to be covering Way of X 2, written by Cy Spurrier, with art by Bob Quinn, Yava Tartaglia as the color artist, and VCs Clayton Cowles as the letterer. So, after Way of X number one's very interesting and shocking reveal of David slash Legion contacting Nightcrawler in a cemetery out in the night. I was really interested to see where exactly going to take this because I think, in my experience, from what everything that I've gathered about Legion, he's a very almost polarizing, intense character to use and has a lot of history that many people either love or potentially don't like. One of my big, I guess, holes in my reading history, and you know, there aren't too many at this point, Cy Spurrier's X Men Legacy Run, which I know was, you know, Legion and Nemesis are like his two babies that he will, you know, find ways to use as often as possible. I'm pretty familiar with the rest of Legion history, you know, up through Claremont's New Mutants run, Muir Island Saga, and then when Mystique awakens him, trying to assassinate him in X-Factor, leading to him coming back for Legion Quest. And even, you know, a big fan of his most recent incarnation, when we saw him in Uncanny X-Men Disassembled, a huge fan of that was the the 10 issue series co-written by Brisson Rosenberg and Kelly Thompson which had some really cool ideas in there that I know Rosenberg always pitched as like grandchildren of the atom bringing in you know Nate Gray and David Haller as these kind of two super powerful can't super trust on opposite ends and the X-Men are stuck in between um, which was one of the great uh, plot threads in that series so I mean he's he's been through a lot I think that you know he gets to be simultaneously dangerous and compassionate, which is a cool blend and, you know, offers a aware, a writer with an awareness of what he's doing, the ability to really humanize and provide good representation for characters that, you know, suffer from mental illness, but that that doesn't make them just a plot device or just a threat. Um, you know, that there's a, a human in there as well, which we've seen come through in some, some really nice stories. The X-Men Legacy run is a bit of a blind spot for me, too. I've read some of it. Uh, the covers were super compelling, beautiful covers. Like, if you know nothing else about the story, you know the covers are dope. So I definitely read parts of it. Now that I'm as immersed as I feel right now with Way of X, I'm so into it. It's like moving very quickly to my top five list of, of X titles. Now I definitely want to go back and read Slice Burrier's uh, Legacy Run. But I agree with what you're saying. Like a lot of the time Legion is used as a plot device. There's a lot of his characterization that I think has not been great when it comes to mental health, but I think it's an integral part of the character. Uh, I think what Sai's doing here is going to be really interesting. I'm glad he's on Krakoa now. I'm, I'm glad he's uh, he's accounted for because he was definitely one of those uh, one of those big mystery boxes that we had not ticked. Yeah, the the when used well part of my statement was doing a lot of heavy lifting. There. Yeah. The way that a lot of prominent X figures children get treated, because I look at how Proteus was treated before he got to Krakoa and became part of the five, and you look at how Legion is treated, and it's a very interesting way that these are Moira and Charles Xavier are really important characters to the overall X history now more than ever, but their children are often reduced to these roles of a plot where they're antagonistic or they are kind of just there. 
That being said, they're often just seen as these tools. And even with the, you know, majesticness of House of X, the revelation that this was planned by Moira, it really does show that these characters in their parents' eyes are nothing more than means to their end. But before we even get into more of that, I would love to talk about the state of Kurt's mind in a beautiful representation of who not only who Kurt is, but what he's going through. And I would love to talk about your guys' thoughts on this swashbuckling storm that Nightcrawler is going through, partly not of his own fault as it's revealed, but him having all, as as David will later put it, having a lot of questions, but not pretending he has any of the answers. Also, I love that one of uh, one of Nightcrawler's, you know, conscious, subconscious is a clown. Yeah. It, there's just a clown on board. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it I think it fits. Uh, you know, I love when we jump into somebody's subconscious. We recently went into Malice's subconscious over in Excalibur recently. Excalibur. Uh, so this going into Nightcrawler's pirate fantasy, that that makes sense to me. Well, it has some nice touchstones because, you know, it goes back to the first Nightcrawler miniseries. Yep. Which was the, you know, swashbuckling uh, Dave Cockrum one, where we really laid this foundation that he is the, you know, Errol Flynn swashbuckler pirate at heart and that this is all he really wants, which was, you know, really kind of touched upon and doubled down in Jason Aaron's first five issues of Amazing X-Men, where they went back and, you know, brought him back to life and his kind of afterlife, heaven, hell, whatever he was in was (laughs) also swashbuckling pirate fantasy epic. Um, so, you know, it's hitting on all of that. Like, that's at the core of him. And I love the nice touch of adding in some, um, you know, of the the weird Claremont um, sexual tentacle kink there just for, <laughs> you know, historical purposes. I'm also very grateful for the complete lack of Draco references or Azazel references. I'm glad that none of that is rattling around in his subconscious. Yeah, get that shit out of here. We don't need none of that. Kurt and David or Nightcrawler and Legion are such a great pair. You know, Legion really makes a fantastic second lead for this story um, as like a, a, a compelling counterpoint able to kind of drive the narrative on his own. I would not have thought that coming in and maybe some of it is that you know, I have not read you know, the main work this author has done with the character. But yeah, this is a fantastic pairing of the two characters here that moves the story very nicely absolutely and they're two interesting characters even though i don't know a lot about legion i know enough and uh much many love for nightcrawler in that it really feels that legion is this kind of um confidant and uh i'm trying to think of like for like royalty like who helps them with like their speeches and like their ideas that's how like that's how i see them together tom's director i don't know i'm (laughs) running for senate so in in my my world that's called a comms director let's do it in terms of of government because every i think everybody can learn a little bit more about government and how the way that our world works uh yeah his comms director he seems to be able to put the things that kurt is thinking but doesn't know how to say out and it's able for kurt to then internalize and be able to say okay he said what i was thinking and now i can now work around it and figure out what i want to do with that and it's a really interesting pair at least in my eyes of having someone so blunt with kurt because kurt already is often seen as this 
this very goofball lovableness and having someone be so comically serious and very oh, a little a little dangerous around him I think will make for a very interesting fantastic pair and speaking of interesting fantastic pairs Fabian Cortez and Dr. Nemesis oh so good <laughs> oh, no wait I thought you were going to say Fabian Cortez and Dazzler like my favorite panel in this book might be Fabian Cortez fanboying about the fact that Dazzler knows his name yes <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it always the people who troll and get so like they, they're like, ugh, I don't like this person, and then they get that little bit of recognition, and they immediately go, oh my god, they know who I am. They interacted with me always. I I love <laughs> I love Doctor Nemesis's disdain for Dazzler's music. Well, let me see. Mm-hmm. Do I enjoy being stabbed repeatedly in my parietal lobe by specious word farts of a weaponized human disco ball? No, no, I do not. Like, he's just a hater. Uh, it, this was one of uh, probably my almost my favorite part of the entire book. It was just so, so silly, so funny. Uh, it was the every bit of cattiness that you needed from all three of them. And I think my favorite part is when Nemesis realized that it's Fabian Cortez and how upset he gets that he was talking to Fabian Cortez. It's like, you were happy two seconds ago to shoot the shit with him until you realized who it was. What does that say about you? Not good things. And then rounding out our little <laughs> our little uh, trio, we pick up Pixie, also at the Green Lagoon, joining Kurt's Berry Man, Mary Band. <laughs> Did anybody else enjoy the little Loa moment of her not knowing how to ask for a date but like did she wanted to ask was it it was Mer- mercury right she wants yeah. to invite mercury but like not as a date as platonic yeah, not as a date <laughs> like, i loved it oh I, yeah I, I think we'd be He's, remiss not to point out the uh the color is was talking herself was talking herself into moistness just describing mercury's um gala outfit <laughs> Yes, Arthur, would you like to... Uh... Yeah, the... I mean, you know, I, I love this scene. I don't want to make a big deal out of it, but I think, uh, you know, ex-Twitter was pretty vocal about the issues with uh, the color tone for Loa. It was a bit unfortunate. She's gone She's gone straight white girl. Well, not straight, as it were, but... No, hmm. no not straight, but oh, yes. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I'm sorry. I got confused, and I'm looking at Lost, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, they didn't white... <laughs> Lost? And I'm like, no, 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 Loa, not, not Lost. Yes, no, that was, I didn't wreck, I was trying to figure out, like, at first, I'm like, that's not who, oh, yeah, that was bad. Yeah, I mean, and she's not a character that I've ever really cared about or paid too much attention to, so it didn't even, like, really register to me, but yes, that's, that's, that's part of the, part of being in integrated with the collective hive mind of x twitter you get all sorts and that's one of the problems with like getting the coloring wrong too like when you get storm's coloring wrong we all recognize storm no matter what color you make her and we see okay that's storm but you fucked up on the colors with a character like loa you kind of stop and be like wait is that who is was is that because like your cues are off you don't have a million visual references to like really ping in your brain and confirm that that's who it is it takes a second and that takes you out of the story like that's a that's a bad you've got to get those minor characters right so you know we recognize and and stay in the flow of this bob quinn told us that like we hadn't seen anything yet in terms of characters vomiting yes. like that there was going <laughs> he was going to reach new levels and break new value and um dupes rainbow p- sherbert puke uh 
was another one of my absolute favorite little moments in the background when Lost gives everyone nausea and they all start puking and there's dupe in the background puking puking up rainbow colors. Um, I love that. I love um, knowing the joy that Bob feels drawing these panels of puke because he he mentions that in the in the interview. And we had we were talking about Way of X One, which also had a you know uh, historic puke scene. So seeing it happen again was great. I I doubt this will be the last time we see this. So enjoy it. Every issue is going to have a puke scene. But to touch back on the Loa problem for a second, I do really think that uh, it's. I, I want to echo what Josh said that getting especially minor characters, especially if these are characters that not everybody knows and are going to be potentially prominent in this uh you know story, it'd be really important to make sure you're getting that representation presentation right and hopefully now that people have pointed it out and there has been some banging of pots and pans that they can recognize that and going forward you know give her the proper coloration that she deserves um and now i want to talk about probably the most interesting intersect of three characters between pixie dr nemesis and legion in blindfold uh, in doing my research, because I didn't know who Blindfold was before this, mm-hmm. she kind of she connects to all three in very interesting yeah. ways and are really huge. And I would love to know your guys' experience with these three characters interacting, having almost a central focus point of a character that we're probably not going to see for a really long time. No, she's another Destiny type character that has deep ties to different members of books, um, but cannot be brought back due to you no. Know, the Moira um Moira's rules for making this work and well she she may or may not be Destiny's granddaughter right yeah, I believe it's like she does some history and she's Destiny's granddaughter like I'm all for digging into that like we were robbed of Mystique being, you know, siring uh, Nightcrawler with Destiny. Uh, I would love, love, love for Mystique to be uh, Ruth's grandfather. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's a lot of ties there because, you know, we have on the Destiny side, we have Rogue, who had a strong relationship to her as well. Um, and now here, you know, we could even tie Nightcrawler in as that family. You know, when you're talking about characters tied to Ruth, if we're tying her to destiny i mean it's that whole extended family dynamic as well um but no I, I i loved the way that you know because of their two different relationships and the way that the pain was different for you know and pixie dealing with the loss of of blindfold you know how he could try and reach to talk to him like it was something that would be therapeutically helpful and he just was not there yet like that is not something he could do, which is also really good, I think, because we have this character that has so much power and so much control. And this one thing that means so much to him is just outside of what he is capable of fixing, changing, creating. Well, and another another thing that I've, I'm finding really interesting is and, and relatable about Nightcrawler is uh, like personally for me as as a Catholic or as somebody who was raised, you know, with Catholic beliefs, there comes a point where, or at least for me personally, where it was like, okay, so a lot of this and a lot of religion in general is just BS, right? But there is faith and and there's still something there to a value, even if it's not like this is factual, you know, historical, what happened. There's still like some level of value there. And I like that Kurt exploring a new mutant religion is not just, you know, ex-Catholic or whatever, like just Catholicism for, for mutants. It's 
he's doing something different and it's it's challenging his preconceived notions and and his faith and it's shaking it up a bit but he's kind of like doing what eventually we all do or, or a lot of people do is you kind of take what you can use of religion and you discard what doesn't work for you and then you keep it moving and i feel like that's what we're seeing him do like i the the most powerful scene of this whole issue for me was uh you know when they're in the orcus space <clears throat> they find that uh that david's mind basically has been stripped from his body is being held in this chamber and they're experimenting on his you know on his psyche uh, but his body's been reduced to just, he's just a, a brain left. And oh, oh yeah, side note, Orcus are some savage motherfuckers. Orcus is savage, and I'm so glad that they're back on panel. Like, I get that we can't have every issue of every book dealing with a threat from Orcus. I get that. I get that we had to, like, establish other threats and, and kind of broaden our scope. But I am so happy anytime we go back to them because you know on some level, like, they are the end game big villain in, in this era. Uh, so just any opportunity to flesh that out more. I want to see more of the people that are in Orcus. I want it to be like a, a who's who of mutant-hating humans. And uh, yeah, but going back to the best panel of the whole book, Kurt realizes that the best way to free David is to kill him and resurrect him. And he begins a prayer of, you know, atonement or whatever on our father. And he's like, you know what? Never mind. And just pulls the trigger. And just, it was just such a powerful scene. And that's a big religious transition for him because, you know, what we're really seeing there is Kurt going from someone following the old rules to someone following what are going to become new rules. Because the death has changed. Death for mutant has changed, right? Kurt would not bring himself, I, I fully believe Kurt would not bring himself to pull the trigger on a human. But for a mutant in the new age of Krakoa, it's a different thing. And he has to resign himself and, and you know, make these things meet. He has to, you know, find how to blend and weave together the what was true in if the letter of the law no longer holds true because situations have changed. How the spirit of the law for his previous religion can match what will be a new letter of the law or, you know, what is morally right on Krakoa. Because what he did was morally right, if not a violation of the letter of the law for his Christian faith. And and so that was a that was a big bridge he had to step over here um, in this process, which again, like I, there's, this was so well done. Like I, I just, the way that Spurrier has, has planned this out. And this... And I like to call this the evolution of Nightcrawler's characterization, at least to me, in terms of his spirituality and his questioning of these new moral questions that are in place because Krakoa is now a thing that kind of contradicts things that he was wanted to believe in. I, be I love the direction that they're taking his character in trying to find out his own answers and find his own set of rules and morals and things that he will find comfort in and hopefully be able to share those with people people who might need them on Krakoa because I know that we often talk about how Krakoa is beautiful in a paradise but there's a lot underneath that that's more did it seem and I imagine Kurt's not the only one questioning things and Kurt's not the only one who might be upset or Kurt, Kurt might not be the only one who needs comfort and him taking that role um, of leadership yes lost like oh. as you're bringing that up like we have that character in this book like there's a big character that we're seeing at the be you know whereas Kurt's in the middle of that 
that journey, someone at the beginning who who is going to need that. Um, you know, we have this great character of Lost that's being developed for us here to really, you know, to see the struggles on the other end too. I mean, Furrier's giving that to us now, um, which it's so easy because, you know, is Lost the ninth most compelling thing in, in this issue? <laughs> like, it's easy to get distracted by, like, a really good thread among lots of really great threads. It's a beautiful silken wove uh, carpet and quilt that, kind of, honestly, is just giving us more and more, and there's so many interesting things to be able to pull from this issue. There, I think this, like, Way of X issue number two is like chock full of things that we can probably even spend like an entire episode just talking about those um so it's a really it's an issue that has so much information and so much underneath that information to dive into that really makes this run especially this issue in my eyes so special and interesting um my other one of my other favorite moments is the resurrection of david and oh how the world stopped to be able to see this beautiful baby boy uh pop from this uh egg no no longer a gold ball an egg (laughs) and how everyone's just kind of staring in shock uh little side note i love seeing both zorns (laughs) that made me very happy because i love i love that they were just like Uh, floating there like ready just in case shit went down you have not one but two zorns stand by And this was an interesting, like, this is one of the areas that I had a little problem with, although I know it's not, like, it's not a problem with the way Sperrier wrote it. It's just like, ooh, like, a problem with, like, where is the Krakoan government council system here that, like, we have these council members and we have this system and we know that Xavier's vote only counts as one. But here he is stepping in and being like, nope, nope, you know what? I'm I'm just gonna, I'm gonna throw a veto down here and I'm gonna say, no, we're not, I can't download his psyche, sorry. Like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go over the top of the whole fucking Krakoan council here. And then because it's his son and we all know, you know, that, I mean, well, I, okay. So I'm a father. Um, I know that, you know, you have no control over what your sons actually fucking do. Um, you know, David just pops down from the astral plane and puts his, you know, his own psyche back into the body because he doesn't need a cerebro helmet for that. So fuck you, dad. And and the first thing he does when he's reconstituted in his body is tell Xavier he looks like a crap astronaut, which was great. And if you follow Cy Spurrier, he mentions on Twitter that that was not the first joke, but that's the joke that got approved. One thing I do want to say I loved about the resurrection scene was David choosing to reclaim the name Legion. Because before, when he was interacting with Kurt, he's like, don't call me that. Kurt tells him that, you know, that anecdote about what Nightcrawlers really are and how that was, like, one of the names that they called him to, like, make fun of him and how he took that and made it his own. And I love that just in this one issue, you see that that callback and that growth for, for David. And it's nice because it dovetails with what we've seen in other books about mutant heritage and culture and accepting, you know, what's your mutant name and accepting um, your mutant name that, you know, David got here on his own, but he is now in that same place in, you know, essentially with mutant culture and with, you know, the the culture and the, his race and people on Krakoa, um, which, which is nice. Um, you know, I also like to, you know, if you think of Xavier and Magneto as like an old married couple just the idea that like david has issues with um his previously problematic stepfather then um doesn't trust magneto i'm just layering this is my head canon but i'm layering like you know gay dad number two in there um as well so 
You say you're laying it at your headcanon. It's all. I feel like it's almost all but said that like Magneto's the 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 gay stepdad. It's it is yeah no. It's it's the level of subtext that like is so close to actually being right up there with like Kate has been bisexual all along. Like it's it's it's. <laughs> so somebody on Twitter changed uh, one of the word bubbles. So he says, "Go build, go build your empire, dads, instead of lads," which was just calling both of them dads, which I thought was perfect. Was that size barrier? Did size barrier change that text bubble? <laughs> uh, I mean, if you, <laughs> I, I love that. Like first, Xavier's like, "No, no, we can't bring him back," and then immediately when he comes back online, they're like. Well, sure, now that you're here, we could, could script you in our own little causes. And he's like, nope, fuck you both. I'm sticking with, with Nightcrawler. And I love this so much, the, the panel where he says that he took a look in Nightcrawler's mind. And he says, tell you this, I've been in his head. It's chock, full, chock bloody full of questions, but he's not pretending he's got the answers. That I trust. And I thought that was excellent writing. That's like, that's a compelling reason for somebody like Legion to, to buy into any of this, not because he actually does and he's now following, you know, the way of Magneto or whatever, but he sees that Nightcrawler is kind of confused by everything that's going on. He's trying to figure out answers and he says, yeah, I can do that. And, and Legion is not a bad guy. Legion has never been morally dubious. Legion has, through his schizophrenia and multiple personalities, he has had some bad personalities in his head, but his primary personality has always been a morally driven one when we've seen him emerge as himself even in legion quest he was you know he meant well going back trying to you know protect his father and then it accidentally killed his father like he didn't mean for that you know when we saw him in disassembled he was going there to protect the x-men because the young x-kids had been left behind and he knew that x-man was this big that nate gray was this big threat and you know they needed someone powerful like him and he felt that he could hold it all together just long enough to actually help them like he has meant well when he's in control and now we're seeing a spot where like his dominant personality is in control but also all those previous mistrusts of you know his dad and magneto going back to legion quest and some other things like are still there as well like it's a a very and we've got to go i've got to go read various x-men legacy but it is a a very well-rounded well-rooted take on like david Haller's primary personality and like who he is morally as a character absolutely and it goes back to something that we said earlier in this episode david not only reclaiming his name as legion but reclaiming his autonomy and not being used as a tool by any of his dads and isn't going to play by what they want because right now he can't trust them how does he know that they're not going to just use him as another tool to gather what they want how does he know that there is nothing to indicate that he's going to be treated as this autonomous being i mean look at proteus sure he's a part of the five and he can technically do what he wants but he's been given this major task and role that he almost doesn't have a choice because who else would be able to fill the proteus role maybe jamie but you know jamie's doing other things in avalon and having a you good can't time. trust you you can't trust jamie with that you can't trust jamie with that if jamie had his way everybody would just be another jamie <laughs> Almost a little bit, or you, uh, you maybe sinister, but could you ever trust sinister? So, yeah, I, no, no, you can't. I'm just the things that like Jamie would do to people, like the the variations of like I. 
I just feel like everyone's, and you know, X is for dick jokes. Everyone's genitals are going to come out like <laughs> with some sort of like, you can't let Jamie be part of the shaping of people. No, like there's going to be. <laughs> Jamie, Jamie would make everybody look like uh, very older comics of how men used to draw women <laughs> and very exaggerated uh, features for everybody that do not make sense. And you wonder, how is your back not broken? That pose should not be possible. But Jamie will find a way to put you in that pose in real time. <laughs> Um, and the last thing I want to talk about that is major to me is this, let me make sure I'm getting the name right, is the Patchwork Man. And who is this character? So we saw two very brief glimpses of the Patchwork Man being from Lost in this issue and Pixie in the previous issue. Do you guys have any theories as, is this another mutant? Is this a manifestation of a character similar to how Cosmar's powers work? What are your thoughts on this Onslaught! Let's talk about it. Talk about the one mutant in all of mutantdom that I probably would have said I never want to see on Krakoa. I have PTSD from Onslaught, you know, from way back when. That was like, Onslaught was the herald of the end of good comics in in x-men lore like truly he he was he was the galactus of good stories when i see onslaught on the final page my first thought was oh and it's just like i see it and i'm like no i'm like come on like we just had access like no you have to retire him for at least five years like don't bring and then i realized shit it's been five years like no retire him for another five like don't don't no we don't need more like and this will probably be the best onslaught story ever. Yeah. Like, because the bar is so goddamn low. But, um, oh, like, yeah. Because we've been given so, so, so many shitty onslaught stories over the years. You know, that honestly, I would say probably the least problematic is the first. It was just so poorly told over a hundred and a hundred and eighteen goddamn issues. Oh my God, it was like a never-ending, never-ending never event that boiled down into, like, three component parts onslaught is coming onslaught is here <laughs> onslaught's still here <laughs> that, that was basically it it was so bad and i mean what was onslaught he's like the psychic uh you know he, like crud that latched onto xavier when xavier mind wiped magneto right here's here's the yes. problem with onslaught from a very very just character design standpoint right because we've had this through the years we've had a lot of writers who get that charles xavier right the big kitty pride banner that i think should be given to every writer who's ever going to write charles xavier like you should get a little four by six postcard when you first sign on to a book marvel should give you a card to remind you professor xavier is a jerk yeah okay and creepy yeah at best i'll say onslaught is both of their dark sides both magneto and, and charles I, I i think that's uh charles xavier apologists have spread that propaganda that it was all just like magneto's dark side that latched on uh i think it's both of both of their their worst natures brought to life and what kind like that's not a character right like that's not so i'm curious to see what sizeberger is going to do here and it's is it like some kind of you know is it like a mumu dry like is it is it some kind of psychic entity that you know xavier and and magneto were both a victim too and it, it's not so much a part of them as much as like a like a parasite that latched onto them i have no idea it's their baby that's his half brother 
like there was there was a time there where Xavier was I I think I I would say like the, the written by people who don't understand or Xavier or like the, you know the animated series Xavier was like was like you know beyond reproach like Xavier was like a a fundamentally good guy and it did you know erase a lot of his mm-hmm. questionable behaviors in the 90s mm-hmm. or at least maybe that's just the impression you know the the way he was presented to me um it felt like Xavier was 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 saintly almost patron saint of the x universe which is obviously those of us who you know you go back and you read what is now 60 years of comics um that is that is not the um like that is and we're we're not talking like subtext or headcanon here like we're going explicitly into the text like explicitly into the text that is not charles xavier charles xavier Um, womanizer like how many how many nurses did xavier hook up with like just not good not good it goes back to the silver age like it's in the first 10 issues he's like creepily fawning and lusting over like 15 16 year old Jean gray like there was never a pre-problematic charles xavier like he was problematic Dan Lee was still writing him. Uh, I, I think back to uh, somewhere in New Mutants, one of the earlier, one of the first issues where he like has Danny in like a really skimpy outfit that's like fawning over him in a way that you're like, she's 15. That's gross. You stop that, you creepy old man. <laughs> okay, do we have anything was, else? On? No, 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 that was it. That was it. That was it. Wait, yes, because it was the brood. That was you, the brood possession, evil Xavier possessed by the brood at the beginning of New Mutants. Yes, 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 yes. That yes. was another. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, uh... <laughs> when they were at the Orcus base and spelunking through David's, you know, subconscious and <clears throat> his his like mindscape was torn up and all like the the personalities basically it was like a bloodbath in the streets of his mind did you guys catch did you guys catch that um that sentinel looking apparatus that was like flying through his mind saying me before we me before we me before we yes that's the that that was the orcus corruption i the, thought that right. was the that was like dark seed or whatever that was getting planted in everything um in my in my read like yeah totally totally and it re- but it resembled like, like, it resembled the nimrod from house and powers uh you know like 10,000 years in the future that was just like floating with the librarian in one of the in Ooh, one of the lives yeah you're right i hadn't thought of that mm-hmm. and i i love the idea of connecting together orcas to um you know that dark future um there, there's a lot going on here and, and if we're going to go back and, and point to those kind of visual references now's a great time to just say that friend of the show bob quinn just knocked it out of the park here and not just with like some of the visual references and stuff but really on the emotional beats like the emotional moments like legion being unable to talk about blind spot, hurt emotionally residing himself to killing the brain, and then just the stark red, white, and black panel where he actually does it. Um, there's the the art in this issue, um, and even to the last page, the the psychic cloud of onslaught looking over the gate to the Hellfire Gala. Um, Bob Quinn just did a fantastic job. You know, and everything I just said there is second to do a rainbow sherbet bomb, <laughs> but um you know oh wait dupes rainbow sherbert vomit close second for one of my favorite parts of this entire book 
the very last page by the Krakoan gate to the gala, you see a Bob Quinn original character, and her name, gentle listeners, soft serve. is Soft Serve. And her mutant oh power my God. is that she poops the most delicious ice cream, and she is by the by the gate offering one of her delicious cones of ice cream to somebody one i hope it's celine <laughs> two i i hope he gets permission to put soft serve in an actual issue because it is so ridiculous it begs so many questions how did she find out she's a mutant <laughs> bob quinn is test? the answer to what would happen if the x office let one of us like be involved in the creation of one of these books <laughs> <laughs> like, all right she's uh, she's a mutant and she poops ice cream and it's delicious <laughs> just brilliant i just i love i love uh, when an artist takes the opportunity to like subvert the law and just like squeeze in a character like soft serve like just awesome can we all really fast just talk about i believe this is black tom's like coat and how uh the little butt looks like it has eyes <laughs> It's on the very last panel. Is that Black Tom? I was wondering who it was because I that's saw my guess, all the cool the... G stuff, but then because... also it looked kind of like the character looked kind of more like Namor or North Star, and I was trying to figure out who that yeah, was. Yeah, no, he Bob Quinn confirmed these are just random mutants. Yeah, okay. Because somebody well, it, asked it him on like Twitter, somebody be. was like, "Who who are these two in the foreground?" But just he said, "Feel free to pin whatever name and origin you would like on these characters." Oh, that's pretty cool. I I do like to think that might be Black Star, and he's uh, not Black. Wow, not Black Star. Watching too much Troopers Legacy. Um, <laughs> that Black Tom. <laughs> he's got little butt flaps, and you know that's for uh that's for Juggernaut. <laughs> mm-hmm. My favorite, my favorite uh, MLM couple. Hey everybody, Nico here one last time, and of course, it wouldn't be a month here at Exes for Podcast without the incredible coverage on Strange Academy by the three R's, Rod, Raven, and Robbie. I love the way they have gotten so invested in not just the magic of the title, but the potentiality of these characters to continue on in the Marvel pantheon. It's just such an exciting title, and their love for it shines through. If you like what you hear, you might like what you see, so please feel free to give us a subscribe over on Twitter, YouTube, and Patreon, as well as dropping us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Guys, we've loved making this show for you two to three times a week, every week for the last year. We are so excited to start bringing you daily content over on our YouTube channel at X's for Podcast. But until then, guys, enjoy this last segment. Keep those Krakoan gateways open, those mutant lights lit, and we'll see you on the other side. By the way, I loved this issue. This, uh, I loved it so much. Hello, welcome back to X's for Podcast. My name is Rod. You can find me at Rod Kamada. That's R-O-D-C-O-M-M-A-T-H-E. I spelled that correctly. Yay! And you Yay. can find that on Twitter pat, and pat, Instagram. Pat, pat, pat. pat. <laughs> and today we have with us the Raunchy Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely me right there. (laughs) Yeah, nail on the head. (laughs) Hey, everyone. I am Robbie. Uh, You can find me at Age of Hilaris. And with us, we have the beautiful Auntie Raven. Oh, my goodness. Stop undressing me with your voice. (laughs) (laughs) 
Hello, it's Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Bento. Feel free to come over and find me. D-A-M-E-R-E-D-B-E-N-T-O. I'm on uh, Twitch, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Uh, there's a lot that's going to be coming up in the next couple months, so I can't wait to see you guys there. So, yay! Woo, woo! I can't wait either. I've been waiting for this issue so long. Oh this is God, issue number 10. I wish this book wasn't a monthly, but I'm I'm glad it is because we can enjoy it. Um right. like it's a lingering favor. But yes, Strange Academy, issue number 10, written by Scotty Young. Artist is Humberto Ramos, the color artist is Edgar Delgado, and then the letter is VC's Clayton Cowles. Clayton Ooh. Cowles on the last book we just did too. Clayton Cowles yeah. is busy working. Mm-hmm. All right, y'all. So this is the field trip episode to Asgard, the one that has been waiting for because this cover is so rainbowy beautiful. Right? Talk about a rainbow road right there. I guessed this. I don't remember if I guessed this on the pod, but I guessed it with my fiance and I got it right. The boy's mother. Don't jump too far ahead. I'll start from the beginning. They get on the bus. It's very, <laughs> it's very catty. They're very catty to each other and mean because they're school children. Well, I mean... <laughs> Like, oh my god, that little a-hole just... I love Alvy. Like, oh my god, I could just... Oh, I love Alvy to death. He's he's a sweet boy. He's a good boy. But Erich is just such an a-hole. Like, he cannot leave Doyle alone to save his freaking life. I just want to smack him. Like, just, just leave him alone. Just quit being a dick. You're never gonna get the girl, because guess what? You're not a nice guy. You know, yeah. Doyle just needs to smack the shit out of him just once. Right? Just once. Right? And then call it a day. <laughs> Seriously. Oh my god. That He's gonna leave a fiery handprint on... <laughs> Eric's face, or Aaron's face, Eric's face. Oh my god. And you know, and, and then the handprint on his face could, could be a good reminder for him to mind his business. Yep. Right, right. Good reminder. Your daddy was business. a palace guard. Shut your face. <laughs> <laughs> his daddy seemed like a nice man. Don't disrespect his daddy. That's he's a, true. His dad nice did seem with like a, a nice guy. He's a nice man with a job. We <laughs> <laughs> can't discredit those. <laughs> But I, I did love that it's this like it's this little bus, so you know that it's just that very limited class right there, pretty much everybody that we know. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, wait a minute, how 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 are you gonna get Gus on the field trip? Because Gus is ginormous. He's bigger than that bus is. And Yo. so so to see them get loaded up and then on their way <laughs> that was so that's where Gus was. And the oh thing God. that takes me out about that is Gus's face. It's just pure joy. Yes. Like, they're not scared. They're yeah. not irritated by having a oh. ride on the back. They're just in it. They're just excited to go to Asgard. Right? They're it's just... so good. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, if that Gus lives on the, the ice giant planet... It's very dangerous there. So I'm sure they're just like, you, they're like, oh, this is nothing. They're like, I was jumping over craters when I was like one years old. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, I know he's from young time and everything, but <laughs> you would think that, you know, having to be attached to the backside of this bus would, you know, some people would get kind of grumpy about that. But yeah, just no. He's like, woo! <laughs> just 
You, he looks, oh, this is going to come out so bad. He looks like when a dog hangs his head out the car door <laughs> and is just enjoying the living daylights at it. Yeah, that's the look on his face. It's so cute. It's so glorious. I love it. It really is. I love this, like, teen angst of who's going to sit by who, this whole thing. I absolutely love it. I I think that's why I love teenage, like, dumb shows so much. Because <laughs> it's like, it has this little moments like this, and they're just so fun to watch or read. But <laughs> so. I love it. It's like, it's been done well without being, like, super catty or 90210 or whatever you want to mm. call it. Like, there's, there's an appropriate level of tension. It feels like it, when you were a high schooler versus this is what pe- other people think high schoolers are. <laughs> Mm. I, I love the way they did that though and i <laughs> i love when they arrive at asgard and volstog um is is the replacement uh because thor couldn't make it and everybody's like that is the purest look of high school faces you will ever see i'm just like oh yeah that is straight up high school faces like oh okay i'm, see, I'm i would I'm be like Sha- my phone now i would be like shaley i love volstag so right? she's so happy volstag is such a sweetheart and he's a powerhouse too and i like his like purple how whatever you call that that he has on i don't know (laughs) i guess it's i love his outfit i love it i would wear it as a cosplay if i wouldn't melt in it (laughs) (laughs) but i I wear it during the winter there you go winter cons (laughs) (laughs) i mean then again shaley also loves everything shaley is such a bubbly sugar filled she's like if somebody took a soda shook it up and then made it person form see i feel like i'm like the shaley of extrapod because i like all the comic books and so many, so many times when we're on our group chat, they're like, oh, of course Rodney likes that. I'm just like, well, I'm sorry. I like to read everything. But I do love that they're keeping with canon and the, um, the Galactus head is still there. I love that. I just, I love that uh, Thor killed Galactus. It's really fun for me, personally. (laughs) It's it's so cool that they put uh, that Galactus's head is kind of semi-imposed in front of the Yggdrasil. So you it's it's you see how freaking big it was. I know that's a matter of perspective. I know that it's further away and everything, but dude, that yeah, that's a very, very big being that you took down right there. I'm just saying. Yep. That's the king showing his dominance. He's like, don't mess with Asgard. Even though he's not here because he's like, I'm busy. I can't be bothered with children. So. <laughs> <laughs> right? Which, oh god. Volstunk takes them to uh, the ram's den to just, hey, this is where we have feasts and I swear to god it looks like the inside of a D&D tavern I love it I love it you've just got people from all over like all different types I'm sure there's some elementals in there you've got ones that kind of look like tieflings I'm like dude this this is what I want my D&D games to look like this is too much fun and honestly this is what I love about Asgard so much there's so many different type of people there and Mm -hmm. like different celestial cultures and the food looks good it makes me hungry right now Mm. I mean Mm. I just I could read a whole book just about Asgard just like give me like 20 issues just about Asgard just I will eat it up I loved it. And oh, it was so cute. They sit down to a feast. And next thing you know, Shaylee's got a boyfriend. <laughs> that was cute. The person who talks the most hooks up with the person who talks the least. 
It balances it out. It really does. Oh my god. I was the quiet one in high school, believe it or not. Um not. No, I was I was. <laughs> <laughs> I really was. Came out of my shell. Um, but <laughs> I was like the um even though he can't talk because that's just how he is, but I was like him, very like quiet and meek. But where, what were y'all like in high school? And did you ever have someone just impose like a relationship on you? <laughs> oh hell no. Okay, so first off, my father worked at the high school I went to. Oh no. He was six foot five, two hundred and fifty pounds of pure rage. Oh wow. For the most part, people just avoided me the moment they found out that I was his daughter. Hmm. They're like, oh smoke bomb, Naruto, I'm out. But no, I was I was uh, a weightlifter and I was also on the mathletes. Wow. So I was very smart, but also very full of rage. Go figure that one. <laughs> That is a good, I like that combination. That's what you need. (laughs) I will beat you to death with the truth or my fist. One of the two, you pick. (laughs) That's the best way. (laughs) I love that. I've gotten so much better. So, so much better. <laughs> we all grow up. I mean, hey, you grew up to, you know, not to give in to your rage as much. I grew up not to be a quiet shell. What about you, Robbie? <laughs> uh, I would say, I guess I grew up to be less of like a ball of like pure anxiety. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a good thing. Yes. That is. You know, only half anxiety. <laughs> I just love the whole moment where they have in the, you know, the dining area. And then, of course, you know, Doyle and Eric go off. And I'm just like, this is where we're going to meet somebody, the mom. Because we met the, we skipped over when he met his dad, didn't we? We sure did. But no, we talked no, about him. no. We, yeah, no, we talked about him. He's the yeah. uh, palace guard. Yeah. He's, he and, was and a he nice even, man. Yeah. And he greeted them when they got off the bus. So, yeah. yeah he was a nice was. man. <laughs> But now we're going to go meet his mom. The thing I've been waiting for since, like, issue number one. I was like, oh, they hit, I think they hit at issue number two. I can't remember. But I was like, ooh, I wonder who it is. And I guess right. It, spoilers. Don't listen. It was Enchantress. <laughs> they, uh, I like, I was honest. I was trying to figure, oh, I've been used to an Enchantress. Uh, just, mm, yeah, no, just. <laughs> I was, uh, I was like, I don't, I don't know how, I don't think I was blindsided per se, but like somehow my brain just did not think of the Enchantress for whatever reason. So it's like, (laughs) oh, that makes perfect sense. You know, I think the reason why I didn't immediately think Enchantress, because I'm like, nah, it's probably too easy for me to guess that. Maybe they'll go with a different character. Nah. (laughs) That's what I was thinking at first. I was like, it's an easy answer, but it also makes the most sense because yeah. who was like a really powerful like spellcaster that they wouldn't want to mention. That is also a woman. It's like who else is there besides and like blonde. Scarlet and Blonde, right? And Blonde. So like, <laughs> there's not that many more choices. <laughs> but I love their whole interaction. I mm-hmm. we saw last time I've seen Enchantress was in the Captain Marvel series. I don't know. I think Robbie, you've been reading that, right? Yeah, I'm not fully caught up on that, but uh, okay. <laughs> I've read you know some issues. Well. <laughs> she, spoiler alert she appears a little bit um, that's the last time i've personally seen her i'm assuming this is 
probably before that. I feel like Strange Academy is before a few things. Um, or after. I don't know where the timeline is. It's in its own little bubble. Um, but yeah, I just really liked seeing her. I like the whole interaction of her with her son, talking about her other son. I just thought that was really cool. And I hope we get more of that. Which it's it's funny that his mother is a villain. And yet earlier in the issue, he had been um, mocking Doyle and telling him, oh, you better cover up and put a hood on because, you know, my people don't like villains. We, you know, we take care of them. You know, he's so much blood and it's like, bitch, your mom is one of the bigger villains out there. Why are you running your mouth? Like, seriously. Yeah, Holy and you know, crap. and I think a lot of that speaks to the idea of how a lot of bullies bully people out of insecurity. And that shows really well with his character because he's very insecure, probably, of oh, how yeah. people see his mother, even though he probably has a different perception of her. Others don't. So he's just taking all his rage out on poor little Doyle. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't know if Scotty Young meant to do this. I mean, he does do deep with his writing, but it reminded me of like, kind of like what you were referring to Robbie of like when someone is like gay or something but they can't admit it in high school so they bully the gay kid you know they're obviously Mm -hmm. out they're proud and all that and they're like well you know you're gay blah blah and they bully them because you know they can't be out because of some reason just all insecurities or family or whatever and they're taking out on them because they can't be that because they want to be that so he's taking out him because you know his dad's a villain but he's living out and being like whatever that's my dad cool but I'm not going to be like that when he is trying to keep, you know, his villainous mother under wraps and not get judged about it, even though he wishes he could just be like, whatever, that's my mom. Yeah. Yeah. True enough. True enough. It's a, it's a little sad, but I'm glad they have, I'm glad Doyle protects him. Like that shows that Doyle is a good person, you know, that he, even if a guy that's bullying him, he'll speak up and try to help them. Well, and that's my whole issue with how it treats Doyle is the fact that he automatically treats Doyle as if he is a bad person, as if he can't change. Like, unless you're honestly worried about becoming like your mother, then why are you so all up in Doyle's business when Doyle honestly has not shown uh, the temperament or the ideology that his father has. Mm -hmm. So, like, WTF, dude. He has a lot of insecurities. So, (laughs) So many. So many. But also, I think Doyle is one of the only people who would have covered for Eric. Um, Calvin, love him to bits and pieces. I don't think he could have kept that secret for too long. Oh, no. Um, You know, Zoe might have been able to keep it, but it would have definitely weighed on her. Desi would have just been creepy and weird about it, but I love her. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think anybody else would have been able to keep this secret and understand the ramifications quite like Doyle does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. I think it was definitely done like that on purpose, and it was really good storytelling, I feel like, on the whole part of the, you know, the series as a whole, you know, slowly mm-hmm. building up the this friendship between two to like similar people that you know have anger issues have you know not as not that great family <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you know <laughs> but i i love that we you know once they get the, all that out of the way there's even more drama back at the um i forget what they called it the place where they're eating what did they call that oh uh the ramstead yeah the ramstead yeah the ramstead <laughs> they're like everyone's just fighting each other and it's going crazy and this is this is a really cool one pager it's really fun <laughs> it's there's a so good old-fashioned tavern brawl <laughs> 
I love it. It's so good. I love this. But I love then I it. love oh it, I love when it cuts back to uh uh Doyle and Emily mm-hmm. missing out on the tavern brawl. He just I love the fact that his face changes color <laughs> to get emotions. It's so cute. He is so adorable. And I hope that Enchantress is wrong because she's like, mm-hmm. you know. I may not like win any parent of year awards, but I'm concerned about the prophecy, you know, about, you know, Doyle's prophecy. She's like, I love you, but if that boy's anything like his dad, none of you will stand a chance. And I mean, and she's right. If he is like his dad, none of them do stand a chance. He's one of the most powerful beings in the universe. I mean, there's yeah. several powerful beings, but he's like at least top 10. I, and the magical well, I mean, beings yeah. anyway yeah so yes but i mean like to to set up such a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point because if if you if you only expect the negative from this kid and you never give him a chance to really foster the positive side mm-hmm. and you know give your give it the best attempt to uh avoid this prophecy like negative breeds negative positive breeds positive so exactly yeah like I feel sorry for him sometimes because people are just are automatically like, oh yeah, he's just going to destroy everything like his pops. It's like, fuck, you guys aren't even giving this kid a chance to do the right thing or the good thing. You're just automatically assuming he's going to be um, nothing but mayhem and destruction willfully. Yeah, I think it's ironic that Enchantress is telling her son this while she's in jail. I'm like, <laughs> right? I'm like, girl, it's the pot calling the kettle black. I'm like, oh, aren't you evil? <laughs> Didn't you try to destroy things like so many times? And you're talking about somebody else's kid? Uh. <laughs> right? I am just saying. I mean, but she is a villain now, so she's going to say dumb shit. So. True enough. True enough. <laughs> but I do love that they have their little kissing moment and. That's a beautiful scene. That it's was so beautiful. very pretty. Just everything about the way it was drawn, like the coloring, mm-hmm. great coloring. Yeah. All these it, beautiful, soft, rainbowy tones of just. And oh, what I really loved it. is like the little tiny embers of flames that are around Emily. I really like the little fire. Like, like that was that was something that didn't need to be there, but I, I like that addition mm-hmm. for the effect. Yeah. it's... Mm-hmm. Uh, so nice oh i always I, I always love this book like just the art of it is so gorgeous and the the time and storytelling that has been done with is just freaking amazing yeah i feel like this book really like brings you back to when you were in like middle school high school just that moment like even like like a moment with this first kiss like i don't it, didn't, it like made me kind of think about like my first kiss in high school and oh, i'm just yeah. like oh that was nice in retrospect, <laughs> so, in retrospect, I don't know if it was so as magical as this right here, but you know, in anyone's head, usually their first kiss, even if it's like sloppy, it's a magical moment, you know, just because it's that first thing. And True. seeing characters that we've, you know, gone in this nine issue journey with, because this is the 10th issue now, have this like happy moment and like the issue even ends happy. Like, yeah, they got kicked out of Asgard, but no one. <laughs> Died. No one really got hurt. Everyone's fine. So hey, they should have known not to freaking pick on Shaley Moon Petals boyfriend. <laughs> I love that so much. Oh my god, that girl. Oh, 
Although I love Thoth. But yeah, no, it was it was so great. It's like, yep, we gotta leave uh we've gotta leave Asgard now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we see that uh Eric's back on board and like it's great to see everybody's reaction to the kiss, especially his, because it's like, oh I'm never gonna get the girls up. But he kept my secret. Yay, fuck. <laughs> Right, that that was a really good moment. I know he's like, man, I'm not gonna get her, but I mean, I'm glad. I'm sure. I hope he at least somewhere in his heart is happy for them. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe deep, 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 deep down. <laughs> well, you know, and and it may it may take a moment. Yeah, he's young. I did just notice on the um the last last page where it has the uh, relic magic's midterm exam, and <laughs> I didn't read the the note. From Agatha at first, but I was like, did they watch WandaVision before this was? Because it says, Eric, were, were you not from Ag- from Asgard all along, Professor Agatha Harkness? And I was like, <laughs> It was Agatha all along. <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, I could be, I could easily see that being something that they just quickly threw in right before the issue came out. I think so. Right in time. I freaking loved it. And I thought it was oh, pure comedy. It really was. And I don't know how Eric didn't pass. <laughs> Anyway, I'm like, aren't you from Asgard? <laughs> Just because you're from Asgard does not mean that you have studied for shit. I, I mean, obviously. You got a D minus. <laughs> <laughs> like, holy crap, he didn't even check off June time, and he knows that Gus is from June time. Uh, I do love that Shaylee got an A plus, so I'm like, that my girl. There she go. Straight A student. You go, girl. You passed that magic exam. <laughs> right. How could Haley, or how could Shaylee not know everything? about magical stuff like (laughs) i give it to her she knows she knows her information she just sometimes never shuts up about it oh that kind of reminds me of myself um so (laughs) what (laughs) what is everyone's last thoughts robbie what are yours um overall it was a really great issue um i do wish that we could have seen more scenes of them like touring around asgard because i do think while i do 100 percent understand um the enchantress scenes because they were very necessary Mm-hmm. I do wonder though if like the scene with uh, Doyle and Emily, mm-hmm. either it could have been like a little shorter or positioned to be in like the following issue. Mm-hmm. And but uh, it's complicated because at the same time I really enjoyed that scene too. Right. So I don't know if like you know it is good placement, but it's complicated because like there's only so much that Scotty Young could put into an issue writing wise. Yeah, absolutely. So um. It's complicated, uh, but yeah. I do wish that we could have seen more locations for the field trip because yeah. that was one thing that I expected. I think, mm-hmm. and then also we didn't really get a line from my girl Zoe. Yeah, and was she there? Was, yes, <laughs> uh, she was in one panel. Mm. And I, I mean, everybody was there, right oh, there. Yeah, yeah, she was there. Yeah, you're right. 
and which again i understand you know other fo- characters just happen to get focused on and who knows mm-hmm. maybe she is gonna play a really big role in the following storyline but mm-hmm. i was like i would have at least liked you know a sliver of a line of dialogue <laughs> like, like just one <laughs> just, just just one one just yes. one just one little <laughs> i i definitely agree with the um with the asgard moments i feel like the only reason we didn't get more asgard moments is because like so many stories are going on in asgard right now and we don't know where strange academy is in continuity so mm-hmm. i'm sure they were like you can go to asgard but you can't do that much yeah. <laughs> like, so which is unfortunate yeah. Yeah. and that's what happens in a shared universe but that yeah. is one of the things i was disappointed about because i'm a big asgard fan and i wanted the kids to explore it more yeah yeah it, w- it would have been nice to see in like just even just the day-to-day towns and whatnot and maybe walk past some of the things that you know have happened happened in the past and whatnot like i would have laughed my balls off if they had just um walked by like a little tiny rainbow plaque and rainbow frog thor like <laughs> was it thing. you know, if they had walked past that because that was referenced in a different uh book power pack mm-hmm. um that would have been hilarious like that mm-hmm. would have been fun but i absolutely understand um that you know scotty has like okay this you have a certain number of pages you got to stick to that count and i'm just like i just uh i just i could honestly sit through a book about him telling about the just the day-to-day life of, of, of a random group of magic people because he's so yeah. good at it but yeah no I, I i get what you're saying i so get what you're saying and i still love what they did yeah that's no, a fantastic issue i mean 10 out of 10 again for mm-hmm. the 10th issue Every issue has been a 10 out of 10 for me. I don't really, the only thing I want is always more. That's it. And if that's all I can complain about, then hey. I am scared for the next issue um, because we have another character dead on the cover. Well, we don't know necessarily if he's dead because we don't yeah. know his like, physiology. Yeah, we don't really yeah. know about him. But still, yeah, that is that's that's a little bit harrowing. Well, yeah. didn't they describe it in an advertisement as like a murder mystery? Oh, I don't know. Ooh. Oh, wait, mm-hmm. never mind. Well, they said who? Well, maybe Robbie they, the researcher. They say because it was in the X Corp advertisement. Mm. Who shattered thought? <gasps> no, my boy. So, well, that's the thing, though. We also don't know if, like, maybe it takes time for him to come back together. Like, they could put him, but then again, maybe he lost memory of who shatters him. Maybe that is a thing too. Mm, yeah, maybe. I mean, when his, his father is man thing. Oh, right? true. When his yeah, his father is man thing. So I mean, man thing came back from the brink of destruction mm-hmm. so he might have some of that that mm-hmm. that regenerative capability but still it would be a massive problem if somebody tried to kill you like yeah who in the hell just tried to kill the swamp god's son like yeah. especially Toth, the most unproblematic of the students like what does he do to anybody right <laughs> Man, it was probably the harrower. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, Harriet. Damn you. 